Jesus died for them, and that's not what he's called them for. That's mm -hmm. not why they're alive, to exploit and abuse. And, and, and so we, we, we're the church. We need to, to show them love without judgment, um, give them opportunities. I do believe that, that criminals should be prosecuted, but we need to share Jesus with them too. Hey, welcome once again to the Resolutions Podcast, where we like to turn difficult topics into helpful conversation. I'm your host, Chris Campbell, along with our co-host, Michael Gum. Hello, friends. All right, so Michael, so today uh, we are going to play an interview with a very special guest, Kay Duffield of the Northern Virginia Human Trafficking Initiative, the NOVA HTI. Um, the subject matter today, I think our listeners will, will not only find it gripping in that it deals with an, ad, with an aspect of social injustice, uh, but it is really timely in the sense that this aspect of injustice has recently been showcased in a huge sting that resulted in the indictment of some high-profile billionaires. Hmm. Uh, this happened in Jupiter, Florida. Interestingly enough, I was in Florida at that time, uh, you know, doing a few interviews for the podcast when, mm -hmm. when this thing sort of broke. Uh, and uh, this is just how prevalent, uh, you know, that, uh, that the issue of human trafficking has become. It, it uh, yeah. penetrates all levels of ages, lifestyle, socioeconomic uh, status, and so forth. And, uh, Michael, let me ask you, uh, put you on the spot here. You know, when the average person hears the phrase human trafficking, you know, what, what do you imagine they think of? What are some of the first things that come to mind? Well, I think if they are aware of it, um, they, they probably do think of uh, essentially sexual slavery. Uh, and I really think that most of the time people are thinking of somewhere halfway across the world, uh, people in America uh, are thinking of it halfway across the world. They're not th really thinking of it happening right in their backyard. Yeah, yeah. So what I thought it would be helpful is um, let's look at the actual definition of human trafficking. Yeah. And uh, where I get this is from the, uh, the Homeland Security website actually provides a great definition uh, on human trafficking, and it reads like this. Uh, human trafficking is modern-day slavery and involves the use of force, fraud, or coercion to obtain some type of labor or commercial sexual act. Uh, every year, millions of men, women, and children are trafficked in countries around the world, including the United States. It's estimated that human trafficking generates many billions of dollars of profit per year, second only to drug trafficking as the most profitable form of transnational crime. Uh, human trafficking is a hidden crime as victims rarely come forward to seek help because of language barriers, fears of the traffickers, and or fear of law enforcement. Mm. Um, I think that probably most of the heightened awareness does revolve around sex trafficking. Yes. Uh, but we also need to understand it here in the United States. And I know I saw this in my time, uh, you know, when I lived in and around D.C., was indentured servanthood mm. is another real issue, you know, with uh, people keeping, uh, you know, modern day slaves, people coercing and enslaving people under the promise they get them here of a better future. They take their 
uh, they take their passport from them and then they, uh, you know, have financial uh, threats that they, you know, put on these people. And they are just uh, it's it's astonishing how much of that actually goes on uh, inside the United States. Hmm. As near as we can tell, on any given day, during any given week, during the course of the year here in the United States, it's estimated that about 100,000 people are being trafficked. Wow. Uh, when it comes to sex trafficking, uh, the average age of a person being trafficked in our culture here in the United States is a 13-year-old girl. Really? Yeah. Mm. And, uh, and it happens sometimes in, uh, in, in very uh, unassuming ways. You know, mm. uh, it's very diabolical the way that, uh, you know, that people are, just as we said in the definition, forced or by way of fraud or coercion are controlled into a commercial sex act. Mm-hmm. And uh, so today what we want to do is we want to, um, you know, we want to just not only raise awareness uh, but uh, we want to introduce uh, some innovative ways that people can become involved in, you know, what I'm going to call is a modern day abolitionist movement. Yeah. You know, freeing freeing slaves, and a lot of that for people of faith. Uh, you know, it's comprised of two different outlets, two different channels of impact, and that is prevention and recovery, mm-hmm. and how those go hand in hand. When I was uh, a pastor for years uh, in Northern Virginia, D.C. area, um, I became aware of uh, human trafficking at a time where, uh, you know, my daughters uh, would have been coming to the age where they would have been a prime target. Mm. And uh, I was a part of a, a, a small pastor's consortium uh, who were just a few people who responded to an invitation by a, uh, a U.S. congressman, a heavy hitter, Congressman Frank Wolf. He had invited people, leaders of faith, you know, to come to the table to discuss, uh, you know, ways to, uh, you know, to really fight against, uh, you know, what was happening in the interior U.S. because he had become aware of that, that, you know, it was going on right in his own backyard. And, uh, of course, that's, uh, you know, we've got two international airports, Reagan and Dulles. Dulles was right in our background of our backyard of our church. And uh, some of the things that uh, facilitated that type of um, of trafficking that went on there. Plus, there's a lot of gang activities that, um, you know, that some people are aware of. It's been in the news a lot, you mm-hmm. know, uh, in and around D.C. metro area, a huge amount of sex slavery and yeah. things that are propagated there. So uh, this uh, small group of pastors, uh, one of the, you know, out of thousands of invitations, we were a select few that responded to us and uh, to the invitation. And Congressman Wolf got behind us and afforded us the absolutely best training <laughs> that you could get, all kinds of resources. And the result of that is uh, we founded the Loudoun County Human Trafficking Task Force, uh, which was the beginning of what would become the Northern Virginia Human Trafficking Initiative, which Kay Duffield is the executive uh, director of now. So um, in our short interview, uh, Kay unpacks a wealth of helpful information that will not only inform the listener, uh, but give practical ways to make a difference, starting with the immediate circles of influence that we all have, our families, our campuses, our communities, and workplaces. Uh, I think that listeners will find our conversation with Kay fascinating. Uh, The innovative strategies and the capacity to love and show grace to those who are even exploiting victims uh, is just nothing short of miraculous, what she describes here. So I'm excited to share uh, this interview with our listeners today. So Michael, without further delay, here is my interview with Kay Duffield. All right. 
Okay, we're just outside of Washington, D.C., and I'm here with Kay Duffield, the Executive Director of the Northern Virginia Human Trafficking Initiative. Welcome to the podcast, Kay. Thank you. Yeah, that's a mouthful, isn't it? I know, right? Uh, do you guys go with the Nova HTI or how we do you do that? We do. That's much easier to say, Nova HTI, <laughs> isn't it? And Chris, it's great to have you here. Thank you. I appreciate the host. Uh, we were talking ahead of time that our paths have indirectly crossed. Yes. We have a collection of friends and colleagues, but uh, and we maybe met briefly years ago, but this is the first time that we've actually had the opportunity yeah. to get to know each other a yeah. little bit, right? Yeah, you know, this is exciting because I love to tell people how we began, that it was just a handful of pastors coming together and really wanting to do something about the issue of human trafficking and not knowing what that looked like. Right. And so I love that you were part of that, and here we are now. Yeah, humble beginnings way over our heads for sure. Uh, yeah. It started off as the Loudoun County Human Trafficking Task Force. <laughs> That's and right. uh, it felt like the blind leading the blind for, for a while there, but the Lord was uh, was faithful to us. Um, and so you've you've expanded. I mean, to say that that you have scaled uh, your capacity to serve the community, uh, both prevention, recovery, and we'll talk about that. Mm-hmm. Is, that's an understatement. But you know, like what is under the umbrella of Nova HTI currently? Right. Well, so our mission statement is to eradicate human trafficking and to restore those who are impacted by it. And we do that with five strategies. So the five strategies, awareness, prayer, partnerships, intervention, which is outreach, mm-hmm. and victim services. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so it, everything falls under those five strategies. Okay, so that is, that's a lot of diversity for any one organization, right? So the roles that you play yeah. in each of those areas what what does that look like i mean do you yeah. you know how many caseworkers does that involve how many you know liaison between law enforcement you know or just right. help us understand how that works so let's start with the first one a awareness awareness we have 22 people who are trained to go out and to train the community because we realize that the community members are the ones that are going to recognize the red flags that possibly sex or labor trafficking is happening and so it's about equipping the community Mm -hmm. so they can recognize it Um, prayer. Mm -hmm. We are a Christian organization. We know that first and foremost, this is a spiritual battle. Um, Just the other night, we we partner with an organization called Nova Hop. They um, they have a, a group of people from the community that come together every Tuesday they pray, they worship over things. Is that House of Prayer? Yes, it, okay, it comes out of IHOP. Yes, okay, okay. absolutely. And so we were just there with them Tuesday night. At the same time, we had our men's outreach going to the brothels, ministering to the sex buyers coming in and out mm-hmm. of the places. And we were able to cover them in prayer and give updates real time as to what's happening, who they were talking to. Wow. Would the men receive prayer? Yeah. So yeah. it's, you know, prayer has to go before everything that we do. Okay. So that's prayer. Okay. Partnerships. We have to partner with the church again. We are about the church rising up and doing this work. Who else? I mean, 
if we have Christ living within us, we should be the ones that that are taking care of the victims, that are bringing awareness, doing all of this. Mm-hmm. Intervention. So I really felt in March of 2017, God was calling us to start an outreach, an intervention team, where we could actually gather the church together, take them to the places where, where we knew human trafficking was happening, and offer prayer, offer services, offer support, whatever was needed. And so we decided to start with the illicit massage businesses. Mm -hmm. Um, So to date, we have visited 89 illicit massage businesses in Northern Virginia. Um, That's not all there are, but that's how many we've visited. And many of those we've gone back multiple times. So that's intervention. So the intervention we've done uh, outreach for the victims, but then we start, we just started an outreach team to the sex buyers because we have seen them uh, come in and out of these um, places buying sexual services Mm -hmm. and God has wrecked our hearts for them. You know, talk about justice. I don't want to get ahead of you and your questions about justice, but... Jesus died for them, and Mm -hmm. that's not what he's called them for. That's Mm -hmm. not why they're alive, to exploit and abuse and and purchase sex and Mm -hmm. women and men and boys. Um, And so we're the church. We need to to show them love without judgment, Um, give them opportunities. I do believe that, that criminals should be prosecuted, but... We need to share Jesus with them too. Yeah, and you're—that's fine. You're jumping ahead because I'm—I'm very intrigued with this aspect too. Because a lot of the of the programs from a faith-based, uh, you know, perspective origin that does seek to address men, it does so more in a preventative way, assuming mm-hmm. that they're not really talking to yeah. Johns. Okay, yeah. but what you guys, what you're doing is you're you're intercepting. And even at a point of conflict, attempting yeah. to be compassionate and mm-hmm. show grace. Uh, I just wonder, do you, do you have a story or, or of, of what that looks like when it goes when it goes right? You know, when you're when you're seeing God in that moment, yeah. touch, a, touch a man's heart. Yeah, as I said, we've we've just started this a couple of months ago, so this is our newest outreach. But, you know, we have several stories already where, so our guys are on location, they're in the van, and they they don't get out until somebody pulls up and approaches because the cameras are watching, uh, if it's an illicit massage business, they have cameras and they're watching who's Mm -hmm. coming. Mm -hmm. And they approach them, they let them know exactly who they are and why they're there so they don't scare them off or anything. And... Time and time again, the men will, because they always ask, can we pray for you? You know, how's this going? How's that going? Approaching them at, with compassion mm-hmm. and with and then with the love of Christ. And one man actually, and, and again, this is as the men are coming. And so almost all of the men that they've been able to approach and pray with and talk to, don't go in they afterwards will get in their car and leave without going in and exploiting the women and so one man in particular said you know i really feel like god sent you and you are an angel for me Hmm. tonight that Mm -hmm. i needed Mm -hmm. this and another man it was his birthday 
he was coming for sexual services on his birthday, and he was just so grateful for the men, and I think realized that that this was a gift personally for him. Yeah. Because these men are lacking something, and I don't think they realize exactly what it is that they're missing. And so we want to help them figure that out. That's, that's tremendous. That is tremendous. So we're, I want to circle back around at the end and, uh, and especially give listeners any points of contact with the organization to learn more and so forth. Sure. But, you know, so, so you're about faith, justice, freedom. We are. Those are the three key components of, yeah. you know, what drives you, right? And, uh, and I just, I would love to hear, you know, just, you know, a few thoughts on each aspect of that, how mm-hmm. they come together. Yeah. You, you're right. You already touched on the idea mm-hmm. of there's an aspect of who we are as Christians, Christ followers. Jesus introduces his ministry in a little synagogue in his hometown yeah. and he reads out of the scroll of Isaiah and he's yes. talking about setting captives free. That's right. He's talking about liberty. So, you know, yeah. go ahead. I, I would love to hear, you know, the faith, justice, and uh, freedom. Yeah, well, you know, justice is right in the center of our logo and the Bible tells us that righteousness and justice are the foundation of God's throne. And I love that because justice to me is receiving everything that Jesus died to give me or died to give you. And that's what that's what we keep in mind if we're working with a victim, a survivor of human trafficking, or it's a buyer that we have standing in front of us. We know that Jesus, we have faith that Jesus died and was died, buried, and resurrected to set them free so that they could be a new creation in Him and really live out their true identity. That, that is tremendous. So. Because you're talking about, you know, um, that's a whole other thing than rehabilitation. That, that's, we would look at that and call yeah. that redemption. Yes. Um, I think there are a lot of services that a lot of um, a lot of communities, a lot of uh, different types of government organizations provide that seem to work statistically. Especially, uh, you know, um, uh, one trend that you see a lot of is what's called John School. Mm-hmm. You know, and so uh, somebody's been yeah. busted for solicitation, mm-hmm. and they end up part of their sentence as they go to John School. And and I understand that it it raises their awareness, gives them a bigger picture. But so much of that is shame-based. Yes. And when you are, are, like you said, when you're dealing with people that, you know, they're being driven by an inner need that probably goes back mm-hmm. to a deep wounding, uh, a, a deep understanding that's rooted in shame, yeah. to pile more shame on top of that, yeah. uh, you know, even though you may get some preventative, a little bit of statistics that are good with that, it doesn't remedy the situation, right? Yeah. And uh, and so that's what I love about what you're sharing is because we're not talking simply about rehabilitation and the way a person thinks, but you're giving an opportunity for them to become a brand new person, right? In every way. You know, I I again, this is my personal belief, but I don't think the problem is that people don't know what they're doing wrong. Um, I think that people know when they're doing things wrong. They don't need us to tell them. What they need us to tell them is what they don't know. Mm. What they what they don't know is how much they're loved, mm-hmm. how much mm-hmm. they're adored. Regardless of how many mistakes they've made, they can start over with a clean slate and be forgiven of all of that. 
And as hard as an addiction, you know, to pornography or drugs or um, a sexual addiction may seem, Jesus can set us free from all that. Yeah, that's really good. That, that's a message of grace. That's right. Grace. That's a message of grace. Um, well, let, let me uh, let's go a little further here. So, um, you know, we've talked about the redemptive end of things um, and just how that works out organizationally and mobilizing volunteers, activism. Uh, Kate, you're a wife and a mom. Yeah. How does the issue of justice mm. impact your family? How, how does that translate into the home? The conversations, the core values you invest in. Yeah, well, okay, if we're going to go deep, we'll go a little deeper than that. Okay. It actually starts with me personally. Um, when I was 14 and 15, uh, my parents had somebody move in the house, and I was a victim of, of sexual abuse oh, wow. by that person. Mm. And then when again, when I was 18, went off to, to design school, I was raped. Mm. And so... Um, you know, I carried that shame. I understood what that shame and all of that was. And I personally was able to experience the Father, Father God's love for me and His healing. And that's why I'm so passionate personally um, for other people to be able to experience yeah. that. Yeah. And for my, for my family, um, you know, as you were sharing when you heard about human trafficking that you had a, a young daughter mm-hmm. same with me you know my daughter I, my youngest daughter I believe at the time was about 10 or 11 and I the stories I was hearing I couldn't imagine you know it's it's how can I equip her so she doesn't fall prey because I was hearing of middle-class well-educated families whose children were being yeah. lured in yeah. and yes. trafficked mm-hmm. so it wasn't just the runaways right. or those in foster care you know so it's about empowering and equipping our children and our own families first and foremost mm-hmm. and protecting them and then as you what's happened with my family is we can't help but care about our friends and and the our extended family and community mm-hmm. so it just goes from from there the, the awareness end of that, um, you know, the, the average podcast listener is not in law enforcement. They're, they're not out enforcing the laws. The average podcast right. listener here is not, you know, they don't sit on city council. They don't run for mm-hmm. public office. They're not passing legislation, you know, that right. to take that avenue of, you know, correction towards this type of injustice. Uh, most of us are just, you know, everyday people who yeah. are holding down a job and we're trying to figure out uh, how do we how do we how do we make family life work right exactly. so um, so the idea of you know we want to there, there's sort of this balance that you want to you want to sort of shelter your kids from unnecessary you know information and scarring yet at the same time mm. you want to make them aware of what is going on out in the world not so mm-hmm. that they'll draw back in and live in fear but how does their calling, how does the greater narrative of their life, yeah. how is that meant to insert in strategic ways to make yeah. a difference, right? So, right. you know, can you speak to, you know, the moms and dads out there that are, you know, some, some people will hear this podcast and they'll maybe even turn it off midway through. 
because it's too risky, the right. subject matter, it yeah. makes us uneven. Yeah. But what would you say to strengthen, you know, parents as far as, you know, we are, um, I love the, I love the, uh, I love the picture in the Bible where it talks about uh, children being a blessing from the Lord mm -hmm. and blessed is the, is the man whose quiver is full, yeah. you know, with it, like the, the arrows being That's children, right? right? And yeah. you sort of strategically launch your kids out into the world. So. I'm not sure there's a question in that, but I would like to draw out a little more conversation because I do sense that, uh, you know, you have a mom's yeah. heart in this. Yeah. So. yeah. Well, you know, I actually get that question a lot at events is, you know, what age do we start talking about the issue of human trafficking and, and how do we approach that? And you can just Google age-appropriate information and really break it down so it's not sexually explicit because we don't want to hurt our children and we don't want to put things, thoughts in their minds that are going to cause them trauma. That's not, we can actually do it by giving them pictures that are healthy pictures um, I was just thinking about this driving the other day that our kids are going to be talking about this at school with their friends. They, if your kids don't bring it, bring it up, somebody else's kids will mm -hmm. because of what mm -hmm. they're seeing on TV, what they're hearing on the radio, even in Christian schools, they're mm -hmm. going to be talking about this. And so parents need to lead that conversation at home first and foremost mm -hmm. so that your child can actually come into that conversation with some healthy input and i you know we we have to teach our children that sex is not bad that god actually created sex for a husband and wife to enjoy together and i feel like that's a missing element that if we begin with that foundation then we can they can begin to then understand mm -hmm. how it's mm -hmm. harmful mm -hmm. and the mm -hmm. different ways it's harmful so much of what i believe uh ministry uh comprises of when you're when you're trying to to help the down and out when mm -hmm. you're, you're trying to loose the bonds of captivity yeah. I, I do think there's a real recovery aspect to that but i also think there's a real prevention aspect to that yeah. um, you know so what are some ways that that families can help in the prevention end mm -hmm. of human trafficking yeah and that's a great question i can remember early on when i started first started being trained law enforcement shared with us the three most important risk factors for children who were trafficked and one was age purely because they're children, they're just more susceptible. They're, you know, science says that our brains aren't matured until, what, 25, 26. Yeah. The critical thinking that we need to have is not there for, for many different reasons. Um, just their age puts them at risk. Two is um, low self-esteem. So as parents at home, we have to build in them self-esteem, you know, just positive affirmations over and over and over to build them up mm -hmm. so that they don't need that attention from somewhere else. And then the third one was a lot of unsupervised time. I know in Northern Virginia, we have some excellent parents who just work a whole heck of a lot. That makes the kids vulnerable mm -hmm. because they just don't have that supervision. 
So when you think about those three, mm -hmm. um, parents have a huge part that they can play. Yeah, that's, that's really good. I mean, you talked about unsupervised time. Uh, you know, one of the things that I think is so overlooked, just in general, is the connection between pornography and yeah. human trafficking prevention. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and we don't, I don't want to, you know, we don't have time to go into all of that here. Yeah. Uh, but I know that, you know, when I work, I love working with, with men, with young men, with, with uh, teenage guys that they do not understand that when they are consuming pornography, mm -hmm. they are feeding the mechanism that really provides a lot of thrust to, you know, this, this terrible wickedness mm -hmm. in our culture because there is, it's free advertising for the objectification of a reusable commodity, right? Yeah. And those are big words, but it basically means that uh, you know, it's the law of supply and demand. Pornography keeps a demand high, and therefore, there's mm -hmm. you know, there, you're always looking to feed that that supply. That's right. And uh, I just wonder if you would have just even a, a couple of comments, you know, regarding unsupervised time, talking about pornography, you know, really being able mm -hmm. to educate yourself. Because for some families, even some families that would consider themselves Christian, uh, you know, fooling around with a you know, with websites, with a magazine or whatever, it's sort of rites of passage. Boys will be boys. But it's so much more dangerous than that, right? You know, it really is. And parents, first of all, need to get educated themselves on Internet safety and about the apps that are popular with their kids. You know, what, what apps do, do your children have on their phone? You need to look into them and see if there's any safety concerns because we know that there are some of them, Kick and some, some others, where they can actually hide messages from their parents as to, to right. who they're talking with. So first of all, just make sure you spend time in getting educated yourself. Mm -hmm. And then you have to, I know for my youngest daughter, when she got a cell phone, we actually typed out an agreement so that she understood clearly yeah. um, what she could do, what she couldn't do, and what the consequences would be. Right. And um, I hear so often that parents don't think that they have a right to check their, their children's phone, and, but they're, yet they're the ones paying the bill. Well, I, I can tell you we've had story after story after story of young girls being lured in by social media. We had a huge case here, Justin Strom case. He Facebook friended over 800 girls in this area in order to try to recruit them. And he did, he was able to, to sex traffic um, quite a few of them. Wow. And he was found guilty. Right. So you just got to be aware that it is happening mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. put things in place. Yeah. Real, real quick, um, what are some ways that families can help uh, in the recovery aspect of human trafficking? There are different organizations, different mm. places around the country. Yeah. You represent one of those organizations, so recovery-wise. Well, um, I know that one popular way is for even the, the kids. We've had kids do this where they'll draw pictures for our survivors. That's great. Um, if they're a little bit older, they can write notes, um, make cards, um, little gift packages, because we typically will have um, a list of items that our clients need and, and also some things that they would just enjoy having. 
and so they can put little gift bags together. We also, because we have crisis response, um, every survivor, when they first come to us, receive a bag of essential items. Okay. Um, and so families like to help us with those sometimes, sure. too. And so those are just some, some easy ways of things that we need on an ongoing basis. So the, so the first thing that a family could do is really research their area. To see, uh, are there are yes. there any you know are there any organizations that are mm-hmm. that are trying to address, you know, from a recovery standpoint, right. human trafficking, those sort mm-hmm. of things. Um, what would you say to somebody that's listening, and they that organization does not exist in their area yet? And we we joked mm-hmm. at the beginning of our conversation <laughs> about what heavy lifting it was at the right. beginning, you know. Right. I think a lot of that goes back to your your second uh, principle of prayer, of course. But what would you say to somebody that's listening and they're saying, we've got to start something like that here. There's got to be some way that we can start a task force, a consortium, an yeah. initiative. Any, any words of advice there? I think the first thing you've got to do is go to law enforcement and oh, ask good. them what they're seeing. That's good. Because you've, if you, it's just... R- extremely vital to have that relationship with law enforcement. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then um, I would visit if there are any DV, d- domestic violence shelters, mm. because I could guarantee you that um, part of what they're taking care of, they may not even know, because if they're not doing the assessment that would include questions to identify a victim of human trafficking, if they're not doing that, I guarantee you that they're still having human trafficking victims. That's such a good point. You know that mm-hmm. are that they're taking care of. So I would uh, connect with them. I would I would get trained so that that you can start providing training to domestic violence shelters, homeless shelters, mm-hmm. uh, ER workers, because we know that eighty eight a study that was done. I believe it was eighty eight percent of human trafficking victims who were recovered and then part of this research study um, had 88% had received medical care but failed to be identified as victims at the time so they received no help at all which is really sad yeah and it is and and again because it's so far from our normal thinking lots of times that you know again it's how can we remind ourselves how how is it that Mm -hmm. we can bring that you know to the front of the mind and so much of that depends on people who are passionate about addressing this type of social injustice being the 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 you know the the sound you know being that that person that is uh you know that's vocal about it and raising awareness um Okay, so I use you and Nova HTI all the time as a resource. Uh, awesome. Recently, and uh, and I know I was in contact with you. I was uh, doing some some work, some ministry work, counseling uh, out in Montana. And again, mm-hmm. wasn't an organization like that out there, and people were very interested. Mm-hmm. And it was very very good to have a uh, you know a good solid right. resource to refer people to. So, uh, if people want to know more about the uh, Nova HTI or even would like to tap into somebody here as far as getting you know some advice on how to recreate what you've done here where's a good place to start yeah so they can visit our website and we love educating people so go to Nova HTI N-O-V-A H-T-I dot com they can email us at info at N-O-V-A H-T-I dot com 
Our phone number is 703-634-6061. We will have all that information posted on the resolutions website as well. Uh, Kay, thanks so much for spending time with us today. I, I appreciate your courage, your vulnerability, sharing your story. Thanks for all you do. Uh, and hopefully uh, this will not be the last time you and I have a little bit of face-to-face -face yes. interaction, conversation. I, I have a feeling it won't be. All right. Thanks so much. All right. So, Michael, how about that? Yeah, that was great. I mean, hearing all the the, the ways that this uh, that this organization is addressing this this massive problem, um, and just how comprehensive it was, I, I think one of the the most amazing things that, of, of what they do is uh, their their ministry to to the potential buyers. Yes. It was interesting to hear because you know you, you hear about a problem like this, and and your first thought is. Uh, you know, prevention. Um, it's it's shutting down uh, the businesses that that are profiting from it. It's uh, ministering to the women and, and children that get caught up in this. Mm -hmm. But I don't feel like people often think of the buyers and uh, and how to best minister to them and show them love and compassion. And it's it's really powerful because. Um, you know, you, you mentioned in the interview how a lot of times when when buyers are addressed, there's a lot of, of shame, a lot yeah, of guilt yeah. that, that people are heaping on them, um, which they're already feeling. Let's be honest. Yeah. I just think about my life, and I, I and I know that you know while mm -hmm. I've I've not been in the situation that these buyers are in, um, I know that when I'm at my worst, the thing that speaks so loudly to me is love and grace and mercy. Mm -hmm. And, and mm -hmm. that's really the, I, I think the road to, to a lasting impact uh, and, and a difference and, you know, God bless them for doing this ministry to, to the buyers uh, because they're, they're reaching people that not many people are willing to reach. Right. right. When she said that, and I was not aware that they had, uh, you know, I, I stay in pretty close touch with, with Kay. And uh, when I first found out that, that they were, you know, going into that arena. And then this has been the first time I've been able to, to ever really sit down and to talk with Kay, even yeah. though, like I said in the interview, we, we sort of run in the same circles. But I, when she when she said that to me, you know, when she explained, here's what we're doing, you know, to address the buyers, I was so taken aback by that, you mm -hmm. know, because, yes, I can understand from a strategic point of view that what you're doing is they're, they're getting a little further upstream and they're cutting off demand. Sure. I get that. But, you know, my, my thoughts go back to, you know, the, the call of Christ is to not just love people who are lovable, mm -hmm. but to love even our enemies. Yeah. And, and I think I do a better job with even loving my enemies than loving people who are unlikable. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And this elevates that to a whole new level of, of grace and transformation and so forth. So, you know, I, I gotta, I gotta agree with you, you know, and, uh, and I know that, that we're two guys that are talking about this. And, and I want to be sensitive here. We're not going to turn away from the victimization that are happening. You know, to to people who are predominantly young girls, of course, right? And we get that they're they're being exploited, taken advantage of. It does happen to boys. It does happen to to guys. But uh, predominantly, this is uh, these are predators who are preying on on young females. You know, mm -hmm. as their victims. But uh, 
you know, the, the comprehensive way that this, uh, that this initiative is really addressing the issue is just, um, you know, that's why it was so special. That's why yeah. I thought we got we to gotta do this podcast. So, you know, uh, Michael, it, it, here's the thing about social justice issues like human trafficking. It's, it's easy to stir up passion and excitement mm-hmm. because as human beings, we tend to rail against injustice. We're, we're, we're ready to jump in the corner of the underdog, right? Yeah. But sometimes it's hard to begin to know, okay, well, well where do I start? Mm-hmm. Where do I jump in to yeah. the fight? You know, how do I begin? And, and where can my family begin or where can my church or my organization begin? You know, um, what can we do? Where can we, where can we start? So, you know, let me, let me offer some brief suggestions here, you know, to the listeners. Uh, if this has touched a nerve, this, this interview, and you're starting to feel a desire to do something, uh, you know, the first thing I would say is, you know, the reason you feel that desire is because God is concerned about this. Mm-hmm. You know, God has, has um, you know, has downloaded in every human being a conscience that guides us in a sense of right and wrong. It's a reflective of, of it's a reflection of who he is. Yeah. And, uh, and I think people need to understand that God is concerned with injustice. Um, mm-hmm. You know, at the onset of Jesus's ministry, um, he's given a public platform in his hometown, Nazareth, he goes to church, which would have been synagogue, and they honor him as a you know as a as a budding young rabbi, a teacher, and uh, they they give him the Old Testament scrolls, and uh, and Jesus selects as his first text to speak from uh, the prophet Isaiah, and there's this this great passage in Isaiah where Jesus read this directly. He it says that he this is in Luke chapter four. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Hmm. Uh, When we step into social justice issues, those are opportunities for us to follow the lead of our Savior like nothing else, mm-hmm. you know, and and even more so in the book of, of Isaiah where Jesus was reading from, uh, you know, here's a, here's a direct word from God, you know, uh, where he is confronting the apathy of his people, the Israelites, and he is saying, is not this the fast that I would choose for you? In other words, is not this the most sincere form of worship that I would have you do? And that is to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed or the enslaved go free, and to break every yoke, Hmm. right? So we can keep on going. There's plenty of verses uh, in the Bible that address, uh, you know, uh, social injustice. But the number one thing I would say is, uh, you know, your indignation that you're feeling is rooted in a sense that there are image bearers who are being treated in very undignified ways, and they are being enslaved, and God created us to be free. Mm-hmm. Uh, so God cares. The second thing that I would say, uh, you know, with, okay, well, how do you respond to a podcast like this that has touched a nerve within you is I always tell people, start in your uh, immediate sphere of influence. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, who do you have a voice with? Uh, for most of us, that's with our family. First, you know, and and I and and I think it's perfect how, 
you know, Kay's a, she's a mom, she's yeah. a wife. And, mm-hmm. and so I specifically ask her, you know, that question, you know, how do you, how do you begin with your family? But maybe it goes beyond your family, your extended family, your church, obviously. Maybe it's conversations in the workplace. Maybe you have a platform of, of influence there. But, um, you know, start, start with where do you have a voice? Where, where do you have influence? Kay, if you were noticing, uh, you know, Kay broke her activism down into several bite-sized segments. Yeah, which I love. Yeah, yeah. What were those again? Uh, awareness, prayer, partnership and outreach, intervention, victim services. Yeah. Okay. So comprehensive. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and it covers it. You know, and and I think it does begin with awareness. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, you know, the, the scripture says, you know, and this is so out of context so many times, but it says, my people perish for a lack of vision. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Vision, vision begins with you being aware of what's going on around you. Yeah. And sometimes it's not that people have their head buried, you know, in the sand, which is true. I think part of the time it's just so much off the radar of everyday living that we miss it. Mm-hmm. And so awareness is just, um, you know, such an important aspect of doing what we can do. Uh, you know, to uh, to raise questions, to draw attention, and so forth. Can I can I tell a quick story? Here? Sure. So um, my transition uh, back to uh, the area where uh, nearby where I grew up. So moving back from um, you know D.C. into uh, North Central West Virginia uh, came at a time where it was the onset of the oil and gas boom mm-hmm. here in Appalachia, yeah. right? And I hadn't seen that. I had been living away from it, but when I moved back, it was like. Whoa! There had been some things change around mm-hmm. here. There's all these white trucks, you know, <laughs> that show yeah. up at some of the better restaurants in the middle of the day. Mm-hmm. These guys are eating, you know, out, you know, in the middle of the day buying steak dinners and so forth. And yeah. then I and then I started no- noticing, uh, you know, the new car lots that had sprung up, and their specialty are these, um, you know, these customized off-road four-wheel drive trucks yeah. and so forth, right? That there's this booming market for all the time. Mm-hmm. And then I start seeing all these pop-up camper sites, mm-hmm. you know, that are just like, you know, there's there's nothing about vacation that's that's about it at all, but it's just like, you know, here are these camper villages that are popping up and they've got, you know, a water hookup, sewage and electricity mm-hmm. and maybe a place to do their laundry. That That was new. That wasn't here when I left. And it began to dawn on me that Oh wow! If I pay attention to these license plates, there's so many out-of-state license plates, and I look at the people who are driving these vehicles. These are these are younger guys who are living disconnected lives from their hometowns, mm-hmm. from their families. They're doing high-stress jobs, yeah. lots of hours a week, making like six-figure salaries. Hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, man, it's only a matter of time before very wicked people begin to realize that there is, you know, there's cash flow here for them to tap into. Wow. Yeah. And so one of the first things that I that I did was I, I started to check up on, okay, adult entertainment. Mm-hmm. Are there new strip joints opening up? You know, are there are there new, you know, what about massage parlors? What about those sort of things that I was mm-hmm. trained, you know, over in metro area to look for and would never cross my mind when I lived back here in West Virginia, but now it's like, okay, I better pay attention to these yeah. things. And then, and then you just reaching out to local law enforcement, you sure. know, asking the question, 
to see if it's on their radar. So I started with county sheriff, state police. Thankfully, I had some really good connections with, uh, you know, we have a huge FBI campus here That's right. in north central West Virginia. So I had contacts there. And I was relieved to hear that, yes, it was on their, their radar. And, <laughs> uh, you know, having just a, a common citizen reach out and ask them, it seemed to encourage them. It also elevates the level of priority. Yeah, you know, so awareness is something that uh, that everybody can do, and just educate yourself. We're going to give some resources here, uh, you know, as we wrap up. Uh, again, uh, that we'll provide on the website. That the more informed you are, uh, the better you're going to be able to have an impact in this uh, in this situation, this battle, this. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, abolitionist movement, as I would call it. Yeah. Uh, she talked about prayer. Uh, she's she's big with International House of Prayer. Those people, it's prayer in all things, man. Oh, yeah. And that's where they see the miraculous. That's where the compassion comes from. Mm-hmm. And then forming partnerships of outreach and intervention, victim services, and so forth. Uh, you know, once you step into that world and you're aware and you're, you're leading with prayer, uh, then the networking begins yeah. in very, very exciting ways. So uh, those are some things, you know that I would say as far as activism. And then also, I'm sure you caught this, Michael, uh, you know, she talked about, okay, instilling in our families the principles of faith, justice, and freedom. Mm-hmm. You know, why is it that these three principles are so important to civilization, right? Mm. Faith, justice, and freedom. Mm. Well, I mean, it's it's something that I that I think is just deep within us. You know, we want to see justice, yeah. There, uh, and we, we want to see freedom as well. Uh, you know, any form of injustice or slavery, I, I think, goes against something that's deep within us that that yeah. cries out. You yeah. know, there, there's a sense of right and wrong uh, that that's I think encoded into us, and it looks a little different from person to person, but there. Uh, at least is a sense that there is right, there is wrong, yeah, there is yeah, justice, yeah. there is injustice. Yeah, and I, and I think that, uh, you know, the way she unpacked those three principles, uh, you know, enough said. I mean, it's just really well done, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, here, here's, here's one, one thing to consider. Uh, you know, when it comes to um, a low-maintenance proposition for creating, uh, you know, more people to join this movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have, especially throughout the United States, this uh, already existing network. Mm-hmm. It's called the church. Yeah. And, uh, and the church is networked within, you know, relationships that go beyond, you know, individual congregations, you know. There are denominations, there are movements, there are Christian parachurches and so forth. And, uh, and again, you know, we've got this ready-made sort of network that can take the principles of faith, justice, and freedom, something that we're hardwired with already in, as Christians, right, yeah. in our beliefs. And now you begin to, everybody sort of begins to direct those, uh, you know, that, that force in a, in a specific way to combat something mm-hmm. that is just pure wickedness. I mean, I just cannot yeah. say that enough. So. Mm-hmm. So, you know, those are things that I would say, you know, at, uh, you know, as we're wrapping up today's uh, podcast, to keep those things in mind and begin to do an inventory, you know, of, uh, okay, well, who do you know, you know, and where do you begin and what are some ways that you can, you can get involved? Um, you know, I talked uh, again and again, you know, Kay and I brought this up, the idea of prevention and recovery. I do believe that those two, um, those two avenues uh, are, are direct, uh, you know, opportunities for people of faith. 
yeah. you know, to have impact in. And uh, beyond the Nova HTI, there are other organizations that provide faith-based coaching in these areas. And uh, we don't have time to go into all of them uh, here, uh, but I can tell you that uh, on the website uh, with today's uh uh, podcast episode resources. Uh, we're going to have a, a mix of national resources, uh, statewide, regional resources. Uh, you know, for people to to reach out to and to um, you know to begin to learn, to begin to be involved. Uh, this is an area where, uh, just by history, you know, we're we're very we're very connected. Mm-hmm. And so, whatever we can do with this podcast to get other people connected now, while they're why they're feeling the urge to do so. Yeah. Right. Uh, that is, that's what we want to do. And, uh, you know, Michael, if I can, uh, let me circle back around to, to your initial, you know, thoughts on, on the interview and so forth. Um, you know, and I appreciate the fact that, that what really stood out to you was, um, you know, to use an old cliche is that hurt people tend to hurt people. Yeah. Right. That's right. Um, Let's speak to men for a second. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's speak to men for a second. Mm-hmm. You know what what can we what can we do? You know, as guys, uh, you know, to encourage men to understand that what you do, even in those unnoticed moments, while you're on your phone, while you're in front of a computer screen, while you're looking on Craigslist, whatever. That still has an impact in a negative way in in fueling, you know, this this ugly, ugly monster, this ugly mechanism of mm. human trafficking. And any thoughts that we would exhort, you know, our, our brothers with? Well, you know, I, th- I think that you're either part of the problem or you're part of the solution. Mm. I think it's a cliche thing to say sometimes, mm. but really it's true. Um, either you're you're feeding into this, you know, this negative idea yes. or you're strengthening and reinforcing your, your mind uh, to, to be pure and honoring and, um, and, and, you know, really a defender of yes. the, the weak and the oppressed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, if, I think that if there's anything that, that really appeals to the, the masculine nature, it's, it's this idea that, that we can be a protector, mm-hmm, that we mm-hmm. can be a defender, that we can, that we can help those that are in need. Um, and in the little ways and in the big ways that, that we can do that. And, and I think one, one of the, the best places to start is just in those quiet moments, in those moments that no one really sees what we're doing, you know, where, where we can either, so into the negative or we can so into the yes. positive yes. and we can reinforce the idea that, uh, that everyone around us can be either hurt yeah. by our actions or they can be protected and built up. And yeah. I, I think that, that we need to seek to protect. Right. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that's well said. Um, you know, from, from where I am in life, my age and so forth, um, you know, I used to think when I was young that there'd be a certain age where, you know, the, uh, the, the, the folly of lust would no longer have a grip on you, mm. right? And I can tell you I'm not there yet. Mm. And, uh, and, and, you know, my dad is still living, and, and he's a senior citizen, and he would tell you, yeah, it's, it's not left yet, you know? Mm. And, uh, and I would say, you know, that there's a simple principle here as well that says, you know, you're only as sick as your secrets, 
And uh, the Bible tells us that as men, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, you know, we, uh, as men, you know, we tend to skim along on the surface. We keep our, we keep our relationships shallow. Uh, you know, we, we like our buddies to go out and golf with mm-hmm. or, you know, or to, or, to, or to have a beer with or chicken wings or coffee or whatever. Uh, but, uh, but understanding that, um, you know, when we care to take our, our conversations with, with friends deeper, there's an accountability there that yeah. can begin to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say that, that for some listeners, that would mean, you know, maybe you should reach out. You know, if you have a pastor to confide in, a mm-hmm. priest, you know, sure. to, to talk to, a counselor to reach out to, an older man, you know, who can, who can absorb, you know, your confession in a non judgmental way and begin to help you put into perspective something that's out of sorts mm-hmm. in your life. I would, I would really encourage men to do that. And then uh, here's the other thing too. Uh, men, you know, um, I think that we need to be mindful of treating uh, the, the opposite sex women with dignity. Yes. In our speech, in our nonverbal communication, mm-hmm. you know, in our, in our attitudes. Um, you know, I think that there is for those men who are dads, uh, you know, dads have so much impact in the confidence of their daughters, yeah, and the esteem of their daughters, mm-hmm. um, and that also begins with the way that uh, our kids see that we interact with our wives, yeah, you know, or That's comments true. that we make in mm-hmm. general, you know, or shows, you know, that uh, that we tolerate, yeah, you know, in our home, um, you know, and and. You know, so there are certain things that we can do that sends a message of human value and dignity. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, I would just encourage men out there to be real, you know, with each other. If you've got a problem, then please tell somebody. Uh, and then even if you're you're not, you know, addicted to certain, you know, behavior like, you know, pornography, consuming porn or even paying for sex. Um, it's good for guys to find a space to get uh, with other men to just sort of have those real conversations and to strengthen each other in our resolve. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, um, you know, I, am not going to presume to, to speak on behalf of, uh, of our female listeners. I feel like they're much more intuitive to things of this nature and how to treat each other with dignity and so forth. Uh, but, uh, but anyway, that's something that I appreciate you chiming in on yeah. as far as guy to guy here, you mm-hmm. know, with that. And I know you practice what you preach. Absolutely. You know, with that. So, uh, so to, you know, today, again, this is, uh, this is what we want to do as a, as a podcast. We want to uh, start a conversation, of course, uh, that is going to turn a difficult topic into something helpful. And uh, we hope today's conversation will inspire you as a listener to activate justice. Uh, you play a part. And we'll be excited to get word back from people as to what this interview with Kay has begun to uh, catalyze in their lives. Before we sign off today, we want to leave you with a preview of an upcoming episode where we interviewed Elhami and Ann Kanor, the founders of Windswept Academy in Eagle Butte, South Dakota, on the Cheyenne River Reservation. Here is an excerpt from our time with him. God chose individuals in Christianity's history that were not really equipped Mm. and were not the best candidates because we were afraid. We can't do this. We are not equipped. Mm -hmm. But once we came to conclusion that God is the one going to do it and, and set our steps one after another, so why we have nothing to fear, I realize now 
It's not us that chose us to do this work. Yeah. God chose yeah. us. Who am I to argue? So you'll be sure to want to tune in and catch all of that interview. So until next time, I'm Chris Campbell. I'm Michael Gum, And we hope to meet up here again with you soon. See you then. Yeah.